Welcome Center. Wow, it feels weird, doesn't it? The room. How many guys just get used to something and then the creative people change it? There, you know, there's a reason for that. Our, our religious tendencies within about a month or two become our religious dependencies. And people say, you know, the music this or the sermon a little bit longer. Can we, is it a little shorter? Okay, no one ever says it's shorter. But, you know, it, it's the room's okay. And understand this, guys. If, if Paul and Silas in the middle of the night in a Philippian jail after being beaten know how to worship Jesus, then I'm just saying there's a lot of room for me to grow. How about you? And so I love that the creatives do that. And so we've got a couple of weeks of this. And then or maybe just one week. We've got, I think we're decorating for Christmas, right, Pastor Josh? In two weeks, we come back, and it'll be, uh, this will all be an ice skating rink, and Bing Crosby will be in the corner, inflatable Santa, you know what I mean, on one side. It's going to be awesome. So anyway, good morning. Glad you guys are here. I hope you've been joining us in this 28-day journey through the book of Acts, and today is uh, November something. What's the date today? 20? 20th. So we'd be on chapter 20 today. It's like, oh, I didn't know that. You're only 20 chapters behind. It's just like high school all over again. And the exam's not till the end of the month, so you got plenty of time. But catch up and be a part of it. Um, the, it's an exciting, thrilling, faith-building story. How many of you guys know that whatever God did for an apostle in the book of Acts, he will do for you today? He, he literally creates a legal precedent when he, when he grants somebody an answer to prayer, when he shows up in a prison cell, when he sends an angel to make sure you understood it wasn't just a feeling, understand whatever he did for them, God is able to do again, and he's created a legal precedent that he'll do it again. So today we're going to be headed to the book of Athens, or the book of Athens, the city of Athens. Like, oh, it's a cult. Sorry about that. The book of Athens. The city of Athens, and uh, we're going to get into something that happened there that I think is significant for us today. And Paul, when, he, when he's there... He looks around and goes, man, you know, there's, there's a lot of idols here. Today I'm going to talk to you about idolatry. And you're like, oh, I didn't, I didn't know we had a problem with idolatry. I don't have any graven images at my home. We threw away all the silver shrines that we inherited. I have no golden calves that I'm burning incense to and sacrificing my children to Molech towards. But how many guys understand that idolatry is not just like idols, it's idols. There's things in our life, things in our heart that want to take a position above Christ or a position of more value, greater beauty, more meaning than Christ. And I think that every once in a while, it would do us all good to kind of search through the closets of our soul to see if we got any golden calves. Three of you. Let me try that again in just a moment. So before we get there, I want to see what God clearly says about idols. And we'll just go to the big 10, the 10 commandments. Here we go. You ready? I'm the Lord, your God. Anybody got any questions so far? <laughs> like he's saying something. I'm the one who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above, on earth, beneath, or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. Now, the occasion of this is interesting to me. Ten Commandments, I just brought you out of 400 years, 10 generations of nothing but slavery. I did so by sending plagues, parting seas, annihilating an army, and now we're in the desert, and water's coming out of rocks, and manna's falling from heaven. I created the nightlight, the pillar of fire by night. I created the sunshade, the cloud that covered all. When they move, the cloud move. When the cloud moves, they move. I mean, it's, it's this amazing, supernatural, everyday, God is here. And then he says, oh, by the way, don't have any other gods. Anybody like, why is that? Like, how can I ever think about another God? Like, I ate this morning because something that we called, what is it, 
And if you've ever been to a junior high school cafeteria, you know what that means, right? What is it? Um, it's food of some sort, or it was at one point. It falls to the ground, it dries, and, and you pick it up and you eat it, and it's like bread, and it tastes wonderful, and, and they got all these great recipes, banana bread and manna casserole and all this kind of stuff. And, and now they're like, like, how could I possibly forget God? But they did. Like soon after this, you know what they do? They're like, you know what? Let's just make a God that we want to serve. How many guys know that the human tendency is not to submit ourselves thoroughly to anything or anyone. I, like, it's, it's just like, I, I would, but I'd really like to retain ownership of my thoughts, of my life, of my time, of my money, uh, of my home, of my car, of everything. And no matter what it is that asks us for something, there's always a part of us that goes, do you actually deserve to get that? And then a holy God comes along and says, don't have anything Nothing on earth, nothing in the sea, nothing in the sky that you would deem greater than me. And it wasn't long after this this commandment is given that certainly they're there. So idolatry, though, as we already said, is more than just graven images. It's not just golden calves. It's not just altars to pagan gods. Peter says this, and and Paul says this actually in Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly carnal the Greek word there is sarks, your, your sexual immorality, that stuff that's just impurity but comes natural, that lust, and it can be sexual, it can be debauchery, it can be just, out, it, whatever it is, you, you know, if you got more of it, it still wouldn't satisfy it, just make it stronger, not, not satisfied, those evil desires, and greed, he says, which is what? Idolatry. So he's saying, listen, idolatry is not just graven images, that the heart condition that wanted the graven image has not changed, even though the, the graven image is now gone. There's, there's still a desire to say, but I want what I want the way I want it when I want it. And matter of fact, I would really prefer a God that lets me do everything I want to do and still makes me a good person. Welcome to idolatry. This is what it says. Now look at this. Idolatry is not just wooden stone. It's anything we worship and obey that isn't God. Galatians, here's Paul again. The acts of the flesh, the sarks, the sinful nature, they're obvious. Sexual immorality, there it is again. Impurity, there it is again. Debauchery, there it is again. And idolatry. And he goes on to witchcraft and orgies and all kinds of crazy stuff that's going on in the province of Galatia. And he's saying this. There, there, we got the same struggle. There is a God, and you ain't it. There is one true God. He has one truth that we're to live. And if you don't do that, you find yourself on the wrong side. And the reason you do is not because you don't know. Often it's because I would rather have what I would rather have than what God has for me. How many of you guys know that the original lie was God is keeping something better from you? The day you eat of it, you will be like God, knowing the difference between good and evil. We're back in Genesis chapter 2, guys, Genesis chapter 3. So I want you to know something. That lie that worked in the Garden of Eden, it still works today when we believe it. So what are the lies? Let's get to this. This is Peter's take on this. He goes, for you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do. Pagans are people who have a religion, but it isn't worshiping the one God. It's worshiping a duplicity of gods or many gods or the rain God, the sun God, the snow God, who is, you know, whatever, right? Um, it, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing. There it is all again in all these fleshly things. He goes, and detestable. What's that last word? What's idolatry? Idolatry, you say, well, that, is that seven different things? No, it's, it's six different things being summed up in one word at the end. It's, it's, all of that is idolatry. Does this make sense? So why am I giving myself to this? Because it pleases me, it serves me, I desire it. When I do it, I need some orthodoxy behind it. So it's okay, we're not married, but we're in love. Idolatry. It's okay, the government has enough of my money, I don't need to be honest on my taxes. 
idolatry, right? It's okay. It's not that I don't forgive them. It's just that I hate their ever-living guts. And if they were on fire, I wouldn't spit on them to put them out. Idolatry. Does this make sense? How many guys know there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it just leads to death? So let's, let's talk about this a little bit. I, I love this, this last thing about Paul talking to his friends in Corinth. Therefore, my dear friends, just run from it. Just, just leave it so far behind you as you move forward. Now, he's not saying run from it and be scared. He's saying move away from it. And when we move away from, we're also moving towards something else, right? So let's, let's just sum it up. Idolatry is when we give that deepest part of ourselves to something other than God, that deepest devotion, that worship. Or it can be when we give something the place of God that isn't, or, and this is probably more common than not, when we make a God in the image of our choosing. So thanks for coming to church today. It's been wonderful having this conversation with you. <laughs> you guys are all really quiet. Uh, how many of you guys know that I say this the right way so I don't hurt your feelings and you don't get mad at me. But how does one say that? I, I think the reason it's quiet today is that I, I think we're all tempted unto idolatry. Does that make sense? Let's just level the playing ground. If you think I'm up here telling you today about deliverance and perfection and humility and how I achieved it in four easy lessons or two hard ones, I wrestle with idolatry in my heart. I wrestle with honesty before a living God that knows everything. I have a collection of fig leaves, I'm sure, somewhere that I put on in his presence in order to cover the things I really would rather he didn't see. And the root for those things is not that I want to be a bad person. It's that often the price of being a follower of Christ is more than my soul wants to pay. It's, it's not cowardice. It's not laziness. It's not apathy. It's idolatry. It's no, I, not only do I not want to do that, I want to have a bunch of people that agree with me in this thought so that if there's enough of us that believe this, it must be right. How many of you guys know that Tai Chi is not exercise? You're just like, that's not exercise. That's, that's waking up. That's reaching. I call this pose reaching for a cup of coffee. I call this pose enjoying cup of coffee, right? It's, it's, but, but there's a billion Chinese people that do it every day, so it must be true. Look how thin they are. Well, they live in a communist nation where they're starving and they eat rice and fish. So yes, aren't they thin? But understand this, guys. It is an exercise. <laughs> what am I saying? I'm saying just because you can find five other people that like your idol too doesn't mean it's God. Just because we have these, these things that have become common among us, don't make them right. And so today we're going to be baptizing people in water at the end of the service. I want to make sure everybody understands. When you go into that water, you are becoming the property, the, the bride, the covenant relationship with the Messiah himself, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is not something we add to our religion and put it on our repertoire, our resume of good things we did for Jesus this week. It is an all or nothing. It is an in or out. It's, there's no gray. I belong to Jesus. And I thought it might be good for all of us to be, be baptized this morning in one way or the other. So this idolatry, it satisfies an innate need to worship while still maintaining control. Um, look at this. God created mankind for his pleasure, but then mankind creates God's for its pleasure. That's idolatry. You guys doing okay? Let me give you a list, just because it's more fun. Some, um, some things that can become easily idolatrous. We see this in Scripture. Greed is idolatry. In other words, money's not bad. Greed for money is bad. Does that make sense? It's not money. It's money in the wrong place. Okay? Um, sex. We already talked about this. Our kids. You say, my kids are idols? No, but how many of you understand that if your kids be come before Jesus, there's a problem? And you go, well, that's not idolatry. 
wait a few years. You might realize that maybe they were in the wrong place in, in your life, right? Busyness. How many of you guys know, I'm not busy. I just don't have time for God. I don't have time for small group. I don't have time to pray. I don't have time. But it's, it's, I, like, listen, sometimes we worship lesser things because it fills a part of us we, that we have devotion in, and we have to be careful. It's idolatry. Politics. Religion. You say religion can be idolatry? What do you think the Pharisees are doing? They're not worshiping God. They're worshiping themselves and how holy they are. What do you think the Sadducees are doing? They're not worshiping God. They're worshiping the political, the political power of the Sanhedrin. Like, yes, we can take religion. We can take politics. We can take busyness. Kids, we can take hobbies. How many of you guys know we can make hobbies and make them idols? I'm just saying. Sometimes. <laughs> there are things that bring about an idolatrous joy, right? Whereas other, other things would lead us to prayer and contemplation. <laughs> so... Let's get our time machine. Let's go back a couple of thousand years to the city of Athens before Ohio State when things were holy and good. This is this interesting drawing. You look up on top of the hill, that's Mars Hill. The, uh, the Acropolis is up there. Just behind there, you've got to see there's a larger kind of stone upcropping, upper left-hand corner. That's called the Areopagus. It's the highest place in Athens, which is arguably the highest place of philosophy. We get Socrates, Plato, um, not Plato, but Plato. We get Aristotle. The, the basis of Western philosophy came from the, the geography you're looking right there. Those men stood up at the Areopagus and spoke. And now it's, it's full of idols. It's full of altars. It's full of, they actually have an altar there we're going to read in a minute called to the unknown God. Like they're such worshipers of gods that they, they had a plague that came through. They didn't know, like all their sacrifices, all their gods weren't working. So they made another one and said, we're not quite sure who the God is that stops plagues. But we're going we're to do an altar to the unknown God and sacrifice on that. So any God that's mad at us that sent this disease upon our land, we're just going to try to appease everybody. They're very religious. But if you look at the word very religious, it actually means they're afraid of demons. The, the original language means there's fear and awe of, of unseen, ugly spirits. So they're not very religious. They're very superstitious. This makes sense? So look at this. Um, Paul's going to bring the gospel of the one true God. Here we go. Acts chapter 17. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed. He's walking around the city. He goes, man, this joint is full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue, both with Jews and with God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace, open air, day by day, with those who happen to be there. Now, a group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. Epicureans are all about satisfying pleasures. Uh, even now, we use the word epicureal. would be like, like, a, like a, someone who's really good at, at um, cooking and so forth. I think there was a restaurant called Epicurious, where it's like, you know, I, I want to get into, like, I want cheese and gravy. And then Stoic philosophers, just the opposite. Those who are wise are subdued and quiet. So these two dudes that hate each other said, let's hate Paul together. And then I said, he brought them together as one and began to debate with them. Some of them said, what's this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, well, he seems to be advocating some kind of foreign gods, like our city needs more of those, right? They said this because Paul was preaching the good news that, uh, about Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, that high place, upper left-hand corner that was up there, that very highest place overlooking all of Western philosophy, all the Aristotles have stood on that ground. They bring him there, and they took him and brought him to a meeting there, where they said to him, may we know this new teaching that you're presenting. You're bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we'd like to know what they mean. Now then Paul stood up in the meeting in the Areopagus, and he said, people of Athens, I see that in every way you're very religious. Isn't that a nice way to start that speech? Congratulations. You guys are religious. I, I like that he didn't start by saying, repent, you vile idolaters. 
he begins right where they are to communicate with them. And he says this, For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. So you're ignorant (laughs) of the very thing you worship, and this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. It's funny, the unknown God uh, is is one word, uh, agnostico. And we guess the modern word we get from agnostico? Agnostic. Agnostic versus an atheist. An atheist says there is no God. Agnostic goes, there might be. I don't know him, though. He might be out there. It's funny, a lot of people who had a a faith in childhood, but then had an experience somewhere since childhood that was so difficult to comprehend or understand, go into this just like they did. Well, if the gods that I'm I'm aware of or the God that I, I put my trust in has failed me, then I need to build a second altar, another altar of agnostico. I need to build a an unknown God altar. Like the God that I know didn't answer my prayer and something bad happened when I asked him not to happen or something I wanted good to happen didn't happen. So I'm gonna build another, I'm gonna build an altar of unbelief. And isn't it interesting how we just have this heart to worship even when we're unfulfilled in the things that we worship? And isn't this cool? Because, like, I love that he says, Paul didn't scream, you know, like, repent, you're a bunch of awful people. He saw that they were worshipers, but this must worship of this many things only means you haven't found the one who satisfies yet. When, when we see in our lives, I'm not talking to those people outside the church, I'm talking to Jim Wiegand, and thank you for coming to my therapy session. Send me a bill, give me a couch, get out a clipboard, go, hmm, that's interesting every once in a while, you know? When there are still so many things competing for supremacy in my heart, it, it just, understand this, that what I'm afraid, it shows me I haven't learned to rest in who he is yet. When I want more, it tells me I haven't learned to be content in what he's given me yet. When I want less, it means I want to throw off the yoke of commission and just go on vacation. When, when I realize there's a part of me that's fighting God, it's not fighting him because God's wrong. It's fighting him because there's something inside of me that has not yet been put to death. It still has life. It still has an opinion. It still has um, the ability to defend itself or offend back. And I'm here to tell you guys that today, I, I believe that the most peace we can have is not from fighting with God, but surrendering to him. I, I believe the most peace we can have is not by arguing with God, but submitting to his will for our lives. If God says give it all, or God says pray all week, or God says get a new job, God says get out of that relationship, God says stay in that marriage, you gotta understand this. What he means by that is I'm God, I know what I'm doing. You're not God, you don't know what you're doing, and I'm here to help you. Yeah, but I didn't wanna hear that. I was uh, engaged one time to a girl, and uh, I didn't have any peace about it. My mom didn't have any peace about it. My friends didn't have any peace about it. Um, my pastors had no peace about it. Very unspiritual people. Couldn't seem to discern God's will like I could for my own life. And so I took it to prayer. And, and when I went to prayer, I found that I was in a room by myself and I couldn't feel the presence of God. So I, I told God my opinion on his absence and what my, my, my position was. I said, God... I don't care if she's first best or third best or 300th best. I'm marrying this girl, and uh, thanks for your input. I will probably need you after I'm married, but as of now, I got this. Can I tell you what happened? For the next 24 hours, the presence of God with all the fruit of the Spirit was lifted off of my life. I'm in traffic, and you've probably heard me use traffic illustrations before, but I'm in traffic, and somebody cut me off. And I was like, oh, bless you. I immediately went into a rage, began to speak in tongues. I believe it was French, as I recall. 
and blankety blanked them and got in there and da 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 and they sped off and I chased on it. And I all myself like, wait a minute, I'm in training for ministry. That's not me. I was never me. What is going on with me? I had a really difficult time with purity. I had a really difficult, I mean, all of a sudden, all, all the things that were in me that satisfied me were removed from me and all I was about to get was her. Next morning, the pastor preaches a sermon kind of like this one. It was on idolatry. And I walked to the altar and I got down on my knees. There's like stairs that went up on the platform. So I just used it as an altar. I got on my face before God and said, God, I'm so sorry. I, I like take this away or give this back. Or I'm, I, I don't want to live my life without you. I don't want lesser gods. I opened my eyes and she's in prayer next to me. I thought, well, here we go. So I said, you got a minute? And she said, yeah, what's up? I'm crying. She's crying. I said, this ain't right. We got to call this off. She goes, oh, thank God. <laughs> What do you mean by that? Yeah, like, what do, you, what do you mean? She goes, the Lord, like for the last 24 hours, God's been a million miles away. I said, same thing happened to me. Let me tell you something, guys. If you tell God to get out of your life, sometimes you will. And idolatry is that very thing that will cause us to even, even entertain the question of who, who's in your way, God himself. If there's anybody in your way between you and God, it's not God. <laughs> it's him. This must worship of this many things must tell us something about our souls and where we are in understanding who he is and who we are. Remember that list of things that we had? Remember greed? What if, what if greed wasn't greed, it was contentment? Why? Because we weren't worshiping stuff. We were worshiping the God who, who gave us every good and perfect gift. And we learn, like Paul says, to be content, whether we have much or we have little. How many guys are still here? Say amen, right? What, what if, what instead of sex being this, like, you know, this, this orgy and debauchery and all this kind of illicit stuff that the Bible talks about very plainly, it's nothing new. Like, sex wasn't invented when the internet was invented. <laughs> Been around for a while, you know? Um, what, what if that became like, no, this is, a, this is a Genesis chapter 1, verse 28 blessing. And then the Lord blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Well, what is the context of that blessing? It's not, it's not every scratching post that comes along. It's in the context of a covenant lifelong relationship between one man, one woman, one lifetime. It's no longer an idolatrous thing. It's like sex is bad. No, it's not. That's the problem, really. <laughs> you know, never mind. You don't want to hear me say that. I'm just saying. But there's a context. It's like saying fire is bad. Well, it, it is when it burns outside of its proper context and burns down a home. But it's not when it heats the home that a family lives in. Same thing here. Um, our kids. Well, you know, my kids are an idol. I'm just saying this. Hmm. I'm saying this. We, we spent some time, my wife and I, recently with teachers. And, and it seems like when people are around us, they kind of say, this is what I'm going through. This is the hard stuff. This. So a lot of teachers right now, they are dealing with the fruit of parents that treat their children like gods rather than treating them like children. Well, they have a will and we don't want to squash their will. It's like, no, no, you, you want to squash about 80% of their will. <laughs> not all of it. I'm not, I'm not saying kill their spirit, but understand, I'm, a ch- I'm four years old. Well, you don't know anything. You can't see over the steering wheel. Why are you driving this family? That's the best amen I got in about three weeks. I'm going to sit on that for a while. But you know what's happening? An idolatrous relationship between parents and children are calling, causing teachers to want to go do something else for a living. Because the good teachers got there to bless kids, not to mark time. And if they can't be in that child's life in a meaningful way, then the heart begins to say, well, then what else can I do that is meaningful? Because it ain't this anymore. I'm, I'm telling you, if you have kids and they're smart enough to teachers, remember back in the good old days? Can I just rant for a second as an old man? Come on. <laughs> that's, that's the attorney general calling. Thank you. 
Remember the good old days when you, if you got uh, in trouble at school or you got in trouble at home? Remember, the, remember the, how many guys are old enough to remember spankings in school? Barbaric people did these terrible... I'm not saying that it was always good. I'm not. I, you know, there's, there's a balance in all this stuff, right? But how many guys got, if you got one paddle at home, you got two paddles. I'm sorry, one paddle at school, you got two paddles at home, right? And, and I, in my wife's life, it was misused. Like for feeling, uh, not knowing your times tables or something, you would get a spanking at school. Like that's dumb. But, but how, I, boy, I want to be careful. There are, there are legitimate neurological, legitimate chemical, legitimate sociological reasons why teaching is a very different thing today than it was then. Are we still in agreement? But I don't think parenting is. Teaching is different because of what our kids have been through. But parenting has not shifted since the Garden of Eden. There's still a love for a child that doesn't allow it to have its idolatrous way. It learns through obedience. It learns through discipline, just as we all do. And at least all the old people said amen. But what about hobbies? I mean, what if hobbies were just a refreshing from the Lord? What if you went hunting with Jesus? What if you went fishing with Jesus instead of, I'm skipping church to go, to go fishing? What if, I mean, I don't mind if you skip church. I skip church every once in a while. I'm a pastor. Usually when I'm out here, I'm at another church. But I, I've, I've gone fishing with Jesus, not on Sunday because I want to live in the good neighborhood in heaven. But I know, like, that, that thought. I remember when Josh was just a little boy, I took him out deep sea fishing out of Clearwater, Florida. Do you remember this, Josh? There's these two old New Yorkers, and they were still guys smoking foul mouth. Give me another beer. Give me another beer, you know? And we, with one rod, were out fishing both of them two to one. They were pretty thick about it. So they looked at my son and said, what are you doing? How are you catching so many fish? And he was maybe four years old. And he, he, we had prayed before we went out. I said, Josh, when we pray, God's going to bless us. So let's pray. So I, he, said, he said, what's your secret? And Josh looked at me and said, should we tell him? Well, now the guy knows there's a secret. <laughs> what, what, what's, what's going on? I said, go ahead and tell him. Because we prayed. We asked Jesus for a good catch of fish. He looks at his friend <laughs> He looks back at us. They look back at each other. He looks at me and goes, that's cheating. <laughs> Maybe. But we're having fish tacos. You're eating crow because a four-year-old's out fishing you. Busyness. What if busyness wasn't this phonetic scrambling, but what, what if it was like meaning and purpose and balance? And when you put your head on the pillow at night, all the boxes have been checked because you'd walked in obedience throughout the course of the day. Politics. What if your king was Jesus, no matter who your congressman might be today? Religion. You know you can be right with God without making everyone who disagrees with you evil. <laughs> Did you know that? Just thought I'd throw that out there. I was talking about, this is going to sound funny. I've actually asked younger people to start reviewing my sermons before I preach them because I realized I'm doing like Mork and Mindy illustrations and everybody under 40 is like, who? I, I mean, I did an Andy Griffith. I lost everybody under 50. I did a Dick Van Dyke. They're like, doesn't he sell furniture up on Miller Road? It's like, no, that's another place, you know. Um, so my, my young Padawan who's teaching me how to be relevant or whatever, he said, throw in religion. I said, why? He said, because the number one objection we get from people that have left the church and are hurt and are angry, it's not because of the people that loved him. It's because of the people who use religion as an excuse to hate him. So be careful about that. I said, okay, so I'll, I'll mention that. And if you don't agree with me, talk to Brett Carlton. It's his idea, not mine. <laughs> and, and understand, guys, all the stuff that's on the left here, these aren't, these aren't bad things. As long as they take their proper place underneath the one who is most high, right? So God isn't taking away the things you're tempted to love more than him. He's not insecure. Well, never fish again. Sell your television set. Quit your job. Little League is of the devil. 
right? Your love for him, though, in its proper, its proper place, puts these things where they belong to remain in your life as a blessing. My kids are a blessing. My grandkids are a blessing. My work is a blessing. My busyness is a blessing. My hobbies, someone asked what else our hobby, like, we don't have one. I, and you know why I don't think we have one? We really love what we get to do every day, you know? I, I'm just saying this. Idolatry is that thing that cools your passion for Jesus, it's that thing that robs the joy. It's that thing that when it comes time to worship God, you're too good to not believe. There's a party that goes, but you're disqualified in believing that because of the life you've lived in the last week or two or three. You can say that to Jesus, but remember Jesus sees through your fig leaves and you're like, oh, I can't ask God for a miracle. But I, I am telling you, God understands the heart of man. Doesn't, he doesn't approve of it. Doesn't, it's okay. God understands. Everything's grace. There's grace and there's truth. And we, we need to live soundly through both of those things. Does that make sense? The law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. This is the truth. It's harder than the law. But this is grace, that as a tutor would walk with a student unto perfection, the Holy Spirit and the Word of God is walking with us unto perfection. He's a good father. If you fall learning how to ride a bike, he doesn't point his finger and say, stay down, loser. He's the one that gets out the back teen. Anybody old enough to remember back teen? It was on the Andy Griffith Show. Look it up. <laughs> He's the one that cleans up the boo-boo, gets you back on the bike so you're not afraid to ride a bike anymore. He teaches us how to walk. Just like a father or a mother teaches their children how to walk, the Holy Spirit is teaching you how to walk. Idolatry is that thing that says, don't walk that way. If you're going to walk, walk that way. Walk away from God. Don't walk towards him. We're about to baptize people. And, and I, I know if you've already been baptized, you don't need to be rebaptized because you're speeding on the way to church or, you know, something like that. I don't, I don't believe in being saved and resaved and resaved and resaved. I love that the grace of God is all sufficient. That when Jesus forgave me, he knew exactly what I was going to do tomorrow too. Not just in all my yesterdays, but all my tomorrows. And I'm, not, I'm not advocating once saved, always saved, but I am simply saying this. Um, is there a room? Ben, come join me if you would, please. Is there a room in your heart? And, and no one knows about this but you and God because it doesn't really matter to anybody besides you and God. Is there room in your heart? Like, is there something that occasionally takes a place above the Lord? Something that says, you know, I, I, there, you just got cut off in traffic and instead of the grace of God being there, anger goes, Jesus, hold my beer, you know? Like, yeah, Jesus, hold my beer. Probably not the best illustration. Hold my sacramental wine. I don't know. Whatever makes you happy. Just, just understand this. I know when idolatry is winning because I'm, I'm missing sincerity in all my actions. I have to make excuses or I have to make justifications or I have to... If I'm living sincerely and transparently before a holy God, I, I can just be wrong because I love to repent. Repentance is not weeping and tearing your clothes and sackcloth and ashes. Repentance is I found a better way to live and I'm taking it. I found, I found that Jesus is better, and I'm taking him. I found that his ways are higher, better, deeper, more effective than mine. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go with Jesus. I'm going to go with Jesus. I know where you're going. I'm going to go with Jesus. So I'm saying this in our, our closing moments here. Is there room in your life right now to do what happened in another part of the book, Acts, maybe we'll get to next week, where they, they had all these scrolls and sorceries and superstitions and religious texts and they built a great big fire in the middle of the square. And, and they, just, they just took what they'd counted on, the cantations. They, uh, you know, Billy's sick. Well, I, I repeat this prayer four times to the God of Mars. 
I, I, I sacrifice the blood of animals to this God, and here's the scroll that tells me how to do it. And they built this big fire, and they just started throwing everything they'd ever trusted besides Jesus, they threw in the fire. Let me know what happens to paper when you throw it in fire. In a few seconds, it's not paper anymore. And the words that were on it are lost forever. And the hold that it would have on consequential generations is removed. And I'm just here to say this. Maybe it's your kids. We spent a lot of time there. Maybe it's politics. We spent some time there. Maybe it's greed. Maybe it's, you know, sex. Maybe the, but whatever it is, understand this. If, if it's in an argument and it wins sometimes with Jesus, it is an idol. So what do we do? There is a fire in which we can burn this. It's the fire of the Holy Spirit. Where we say to God, I, I disapprove of these things and I approve of these called repentance. I no longer want that. I don't want it as a hold on me. I don't want it to be an option in my heart. I want the, the chains of it that is put on me to be broken off. I am no longer a slave to sin. I am a slave to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's mine. I'm his. It's settled. And I think there's moments in our life. You say, well, I got saved in seventh grade camp when I was 12 years old. Awesome. But understand this. I don't think repentance is a one-time thing. <laughs> The more I realize in my life that isn't like Jesus, the more I enjoy bringing those things to Jesus because I love what mercy does in my life. I love that I'm loved enough to be wrong and still be righteous in his sight. That's what mercy does. Close your eyes if you wish for just a moment. If you're going to be baptized, let's start heading over here to the tank. If you're going to be baptized this morning, I think we've got a few people who are being baptized. Head over there now. But let's, let's pray. Father, I thank you that you are superior in every way the answer to every question, the fruit of every tree, the prize at the end of every race, you are better than every alternative. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ for it's the power of salvation unto those who believe. And in this room right now, I pray if there's anybody that's like, I, Jesus has to hog tie me 10 times a day to get me to do one thing right. It's, it's time for idolatry to end. It's time for things to be burned and shattered and destroyed and melted. And how does that happen? We, we, the people in Athens had so many choices and they were all wrong. But the evidence of an abundance of idols is not that they're just very religious, it's that they're still looking. A person who walks into a brothel, knocks on the door to buy a prostitute, they don't know it, but what they're actually looking for is God. They believe that there's something inside there that is superior. They want it. But they don't understand. Like Proverbs warns us, chapter after chapter after chapter, it's death in that house. It destroys. Adultery is bad. Fornication destroys. It weakens. It, it's immoral. It's wrong. And yet we just keep knocking on doors. God, I pray we'd knock on your door today and we would trust you to be right, to be true, to be worthy of our belief. I believe you are the wonder-working God. All the miracles, all the miracles we'll see. You're just too good not to believe. You're just too good not to believe. So I thank you for those who are about to be baptized today. And by the way, church, if you didn't come prepared, it's going to be a cold trip home, but come on. If you want to get baptized today, this is a covenant moment. This is a, think of it like marriage. There's a vow you take publicly, but there's a consummation that takes place in the physical realm later that, that consummates the public and, and verbal and vows established by rings and gifts and so forth. That's what baptism does. It, it consummates the inner. The noun of faith becomes the verb of action through the waters of baptism. If you're here and you're like, man, Jesus is real-ish, 
but I wish he was more real. I've never been baptized. Then it'd be a cold drive home, but we can pre-hit your car. You'll, you'll be a believer cold by the time you get to it. But I would rather go home cold and blessed than, than warm, dry, and lost, right? So if you would like to give your life to Jesus today and you've not been baptized in water, come on, let's do it today. For those of you who are like, I, I see things in my heart that stand up and there's a decent fight between them and Jesus. Honesty, forgiveness, the way you use money, the prayerlessness. I, this is not a list of things that make us feel guilty or ashamed. This isn't proving you're less than. This is proving he's more than those, those conclusions, if you allow him to be. So Holy Spirit, I pray, be the fire in which we throw our idols. Be the fire in which we throw our, 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 our things and our high places and our Asherah poles and our scrolls that have, you know, spells on them. Let us throw them in the fire of the Holy Spirit that they would never return, that their effects would be broken by the blood of Jesus in every life, even now, God. Even now, in Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to baptize some people. You guys want to stand on your feet and worship? Come on.